If you'd like to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, I'm only going to read and look at very carefully one verse from Ephesians, Ephesians 5 and verse 2. Hear this, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Let's pray together. Father, tonight would you draw us in to the message of the crucifixion. We are not spectators. We are participants. You are here for us. And I pray that we would feel the heat and the weight and the light of your death on the cross. You can do that by your spirit. And so we ask in faith, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, I want to say three things about the crucifixion from uh, Ephesians 5 verse 2. I want to talk about the crucifixion as in love. I want to talk about it as for us. And I want to talk about it as to God. In love for us to God. Let's think about the crucifixion in love. Jesus' crucifixion is done in love. That's how verse 2 begins. It says, and walk in love as Christ loved us. We're going to hear this resound on Easter morning. But we even need to hear it this on Good Friday evening. That the entire redemption story that begins in Genesis and ends in Revelation with its twists and turns. That is creation in the garden and perfection with Adam and Eve. And then flows through Noah and Abraham and Israel and Moses and Joshua and Sinai and Boaz and Ruth and Samuel and David. And Solomon and exile and return and Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem, and Jesus ministering in Galilee, and Jesus tonight dying on the cross in Golgotha. All of this was born out of, motivated by, and sustained by Christ's love. That's what moves the story of the Bible cover to cover. It is the very love of Christ. I read this incredible verse this week from Micah 7.18. This is one of those verses you put on a postcard and you stick it somewhere because it's going to tell you something about God that we're going to spend the rest of our lives disbelieving about him. And this is what Micah 7.18 says. It says, He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He doesn't stay angry. He doesn't retain his anger to us forever because he delights in steadfast love. God wills to be angry. In his justice, he wills to have wrath. But Micah 7.18 says that God loves to love. That's what he loves to do. He delights in steadfast love. Whenever you come across one of those descriptors in the Bible like steadfast 
or faithful or never ceasing, those words get saved up and used to describe not God's anger and his wrath for sin. They are completely reserved for God's love. God is happy. It makes him happy to surprise us by showing us faithful and steadfast love. How could this Good Friday be? How could it be that the God who created the universe and us in it and stood by as we rebelled against him and snubbed our noses at him and we proved to him every single day that we don't share the affection that he has for us, how could that God be moved to send his only begotten son for us to suffer the torment of Good Friday? The answer is only and always and forever and will be our chorus on that great day. The steadfast love of Christ. This entire scene is moved by God's love because God is happy to show his love. That's what makes him happy. The crucifixion is done in love, but Jesus' crucifixion is done for us. That's what we also hear in verse 2. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. That means when we gather here this evening, you and I are not mere spectators of the cross. We're not like some of the crowd fancied themselves to be looking at the terror of the cross from afar And thinking about it as a historic event. Because this is not chiefly something that happens between God the Father and God the Son. We are responsible. You and I are responsible. Even though God's plan for salvation is motivated by love. It is in response to our sin. You and I and our sin. Put Jesus on the cross. Our sin demanded Jesus' sacrificial death. I want to read this from reformer Martin Luther. This is what he said 500 years ago about us meditating on and thinking about the suffering of Christ. This is what he says. The benefit of Christ's suffering depends almost entirely upon man coming to a true knowledge of himself and becoming terror-stricken and slain before himself. And where man does not come to this point, the sufferings of Christ have become of no true benefit to him. If we think Christ's death is a demonstration And we don't see it as a personal substitution. Like if we look at it as a historic event that kind of demonstrates God's love. But we don't see ourselves written into the story as being substituted for in Christ's death. Martin Luther and the Apostle Paul says the crucifixion is of no value to you. It's not just done in love to demonstrate love. It is done as a substitution for us. It is done on our behalf. 
The crucifixion is done in love. It's done for us. And finally, it's done to God. Paul describes it as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Jesus' crucifixion is done to God. I think sometimes there can be some confusion over to whom Christ is giving his life to. We know he's giving it for us, but to whom does the debt need to be paid? And I know other pastors, to illustrate this, have reached for the example of C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia. I don't know how many of you guys have dabbled in The Chronicles of Narnia. Our kids have been really into that of late. I say our kids, but actually, when Julie and I first got married, picture this. We read through the entire Chronicles of Narnia in picnics at the State House. Isn't that romantic? And now we sit at home after the kids go to bed and watch reruns of The Office. <laughs> but there was a day when we read Lewis. Um, that first book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, it tells this incredible gospel scene. You guys know the story, and if you don't, I'm going to spoil it. And that is the four kids, they find themselves in Narnia, and Edmund, the kind of rotten sibling, he sidles up to the wicked white witch and spends his time with her and then realizes she's no good and he wants to leave her, leave her service and escape. But to do so would be treason and he receives the death penalty from the white witch. He must give his life because he has tried to escape her. Aslan, the good lion, he appears and he offers a substitution. He offers an exchange. He says, I'll give my life in place of Edmunds, the wicked witch can kill me instead of Edmund. And when that happens, it's this beautiful scene and it has gospel themes and it's powerful to watch one give a life for another. But that's not the gospel story. Satan, like the white witch, is our accuser. He stands to accuse us for our sin. And like Edmund, we are guilty of sin and deserving of death. Jesus, like Asland, offers himself as a substitute so that we do not receive the death penalty. But here's where the stories part. In Narnia, the sacrifice was given to the white witch. And in our scene in the gospel... In no uncertain terms, Jesus does not die to satisfy, pay off, restore what is broken between him and the evil one. When Jesus dies on the cross, it is a sacrificial death to God, to appease God. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. Because of our sin, because of our rebellion, we are separated from God. We have snubbed God. We have rebelled against Him. We have not done what He has called us to do. And because of that, God says, My just wrath falls on you, which is eternal death in hell forever. But God in his love sent his son to absorb the perfect wrath of God. 
And when Jesus drank the wrath of God, he drank it to the dregs, and God executed his perfect justice on himself. As such, Jesus' death is what Paul describes a fragrant offering and a sacrifice made to God. In love, for us, to God, God sends his son to bear our penalty that we might be restored and reconciled to him forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, allow us to absorb these truths, Lord, these precious gospel truths that because you have been moved by love, you have moved towards us. You take the weight of our sin upon yourself and you bear its awful penalty. And because of that, you may clothe us in righteousness to be restored in a relationship with you. We praise you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.